Welcome in to the Best in True Crime Podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. It is a ripped from the headlines edition of True Crime Tuesday today. Uh, of course, it's the holiday weekend. It's the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day to everybody. We hope you're enjoying your freedom. Of course, remember, with that freedom uh, came the cost of lives uh, throughout the years. So we hope you're also um, observing that as well. There's a price to freedom, and we, we hope you are uh, observing that as well and remembering uh, some fallen soldiers this weekend. We know it's not mandatory, but we hope you do that as well, as, as uh, I like to remember that as well on the 4th of July. Uh, I hope you're also remembering those fingers you've blown off this weekend. Be careful with those fireworks. And also, it's been really dry throughout the country. Uh, be careful with those fireworks as you're, as you're playing around with them this weekend. And uh, be safe with those fireworks as you're playing with them this weekend. As it is dry in a lot of areas of the country, uh, we're supposed to get some uh, thunderstorms here in the Twin Cities, hopefully uh, to help with some of that dryness. Let's bring in a co-host. By the way, uh, Beer City Brews are still recovering from, from hip replacement surgery. So if you would, this weekend, Pro Wrestling Tees at, at ProWrestlingTees.com has a 4th of July sale. 20% off all t-shirts. Go help our bionic bruiser. Uh, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Buy a Beer City Bruiser t-shirt and help out Beer City Bruiser. We'll have a link in the description of this program so you can help out Beer City Bruiser and uh, go ahead and do that as well. So we're going to bring in a co-host for Rip from the Headlines. Let's bring in the co-hostess with the mostest, Mally Fox. Hi, Mally. Hello. Hello, darling. Uh, <laughs> Fourth of July, big plans? Yep. What you big doing? Big plans. Well, if the rain, well, Michigan, it's no nonstop rain. So we're the one state that has it. <laughs> oh, I see. So, so I'm hoping it clears up so that I can do the parade and go to the campground and not have it be a big mud fest. Ooh, right on. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Rainy and muddy on, on 4th of July. Not good. Not, not yeah. a good plan. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, we hope it dries up for you there in Michigan. Here in uh, Minnesota, we have, I think it is a 20 or 30% chance for rain in the afternoon. We're hoping it dries up for fireworks. And uh, we all get to sit out and enjoy some fireworks uh, this weekend. Are Do you we, have any plans? Um, you know what? Actually, here in my area of town... <laughs> I'm in, a, I'm in a neighborhood that's very interesting, Mally. Okay. Uh, the mayor lives not too far away from us, mm -hmm. and the mayor's really cool. Kitty corner from me, there's a guy who develops sewer systems for different municipalities. Okay. He has, and I kid you not, Mally, he has a four rocket launcher. Most people would not like this in their okay. neighborhood. In our neighborhood, it's kind of cool because he's got it in his backyard. When I say four rocket launcher, I'm talking like the kind that most people would go to, uh, like go to a ballpark to watch actual regular uh, mortars being fired okay. off. Okay. Okay. He has it in his backyard. So I don't have to go anywhere to watch fireworks. Nice. I just take a chair and put it in my driveway. Okay, mm -hmm. and I watched this guy fire off fireworks. Now, amazingly, Mally, there are no police. There's no sheriff. There's no anybody coming around to stop this guy. <laughs> he just fires off fireworks. In fact, he started last night. Uh -huh. As we record this, we're recording this on Monday. Uh, he started on Sunday night and there was no phone calls. Hmm. Amazingly. 
Right. Um, which I know people with pets probably don't appreciate because, you know, pets pets have a hard time with that. And, and right. I, I do. My heart does go out to people with pets who. who my Marla Hooch is having a hard time. Oh, but Clarabelle's fine. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry with that because that, that is tough. That That's mm-hmm. it's it's rough on pets and whatnot. And even even with like thunder shirts and things like that, it's right it's hard on them. It, it, those things don't necessarily work all the time. Um. But, you know, th- this guy, holy cow, Mally, I, there was one year, I want to say it was pre-pandemic. I think this guy probably shot off a half million dollars worth of fireworks. <laughs> I think, though, during the pandemic, though, a lot of people were doing fireworks because, like, what else are you going to spend your money on? Yeah. Well, you know, during the pandemic, it it was a godsend. I got to tell you, it really was because, you know, we weren't getting together for fireworks and a lot mm-hmm. of fireworks celebrations were canceled except right. for my neighbor, Kitty Corner from me, <laughs> who kind of saved the 4th of July for everybody in this neighborhood. I mean, you know, he, he actually got a round of applause from our neighbors. Uh, I mean, did you, did you sing the star spangled banner? <laughs> I, I hummed it as he, as he fired off uh, fireworks and you know, it, it, it uh, as someone who's, uh, let's just say a little disabled. Um, mm-hmm. It it helps me out quite a bit because it's hard for me sometimes to get out to, uh, you know, to the park and and get parked and get out there and you know it's it's hard to take a knee caddy and try and put it out on a on a softball field or, you know, get parked somewhere and and get out on a blanket and and do all that. So mm-hmm. so for me to just be able to roll out onto the driveway and put a chair down and. And uh, enjoy something that's comparable. I think is is kind of kind of nice. So that's I I'm, I'm you know let's just say there's there's something in his mailbox at Christmas, and it's not a mortar. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's you know I appreciate him. So there's that. Well, I'm glad the whole neighborhood gets to enjoy it. Oh yeah, yeah. And then there's one neighbor that tries to compete, which is actually kind of fun. Oh yeah, except for. <laughs> Was it a year ago or two years ago? He a- accidentally fired a mortar and it hit somebody's roof. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, I think it, it. Yeah. But this is the neighbor that's not trained. OK. On how to do it. And it, I think he stopped after that. <laughs> so our friend yeah. Tara's trained. She has her license to do fireworks. Really? Yes. Like they used to her and her ex-husband. Sorry for bringing up, but they're still friends. So that's OK. Mm-hmm. Um. They had their license or whatever to set off the fireworks. So they would go to like big events and they would set them off. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I know it's not that I'm not sensitive to people with pets that have the issues, um, you know, with fireworks going off. There's a time and place for fireworks. Um, you know, again, the 4th of July weekend is is it. And, and you know, I, I, I get that. But, you know. It's uh, it is what it is. So. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to uh, fireworks on the fourth and and putting them away on the fifth. <laughs> we'll put it that way. So I, I'm uh, yeah, I, I I'm tolerant on the fourth and and right. if, it, if it goes to the seventh, I get a little irritated. But yeah, we'll, we'll put it that way. Yeah. At one o'clock in the morning, we're like, okay, I have to work. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I I get a little irritated when they're still going off at one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's that's a good point too, Mal. I'm I'm yeah. I get a little irritated when they go late too. It's it's uh yeah. We we can wrap it up at a certain point. That's the other <laughs> thing about my neighbor too. Is he's he's you know, 
he'll go along with the show, but he won't go into the late night. You know, okay. it, he'll, you know, you generally get 20, 30 minutes out of your municipality. Mm-hmm. He goes for a good hour, hour and a half. Nice. Yeah. So I get a good long show out of it. So I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm good. <laughs> so I appreciate him. I'll put it that way. I appreciate it. And if you name. have a cocktail in your driveway, you don't have to worry about driving. Yes. That's the other thing. We get, mm-hmm. we get the, uh, we get the margaritas going and uh, it's, it's a good time. So nice. Yeah. It's a good time. Uh, Rip from the headlines today, Mally. Interestingly enough, we're going to start off with a case that we're going to cover next week on the show. Okay. Okay. Uh, Nick Edwards is going to be with us from True Crime Garage. So it's going to be a meeting of worlds. We're going to have worlds collide here on True Crime Tuesday. I know a lot of people are like, I listen to True Crime Garage. Well, you know what? Next week, you can listen to True Crime Tuesday and hear True Crime Garage. (laughs) I like his name. Nick Edwards? No, the true crime. Well, oh, Nick is oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a nice true name. True crime yeah, yeah. garage. Oh, true crime garage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure his mom likes it too. That's yeah, why she named him Nick Edwards. Yeah. No, you meant the name. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure she's partial to Nick Edwards too. I mean, yeah. you know. I'm sure she looked at his bright, shiny little face when he was little and just said, you know, Nick is a good name. I think that's, <laughs> I'm sure she didn't name him True Crime Garage when she looked at him <laughs> as a little one. But yeah, so uh, Nick Edwards from True Crime Garage will be on. He's got a brand new book out there from Wild Blue Press, and we're going to cover that next week. It's called The Delphi Murders, uh, The Quest to Find the Man on the Bridge. And he wrote that with Brian Whitney. So that's going to be on next week. Now, there is a a story out there that came out um, this past week that uh, is interesting. We're actually going to talk to Nick about it. Uh, The Delphi murder suspect allegedly admitted to killing Abby Williams and Libby German in his jailhouse cell. Mm. Hmm. Does that change the book? You'll have to find out by getting the book. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, I haven't read the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and Allen County, we go to uh, Delphi, Indiana. A Allen County judge unsealed over 250 pages of court documents this week related to court proceedings for Richard Allen, the man accused of killing Abby Williams and Libby German on February 13th of 2017. The plethora of documents include various petitions, subpoenas, photos, motions to suppress, and other orders of the court relating to Allen's case. Allen was arrested in October of 2022, five years after 14-year-old Libby and 13-year-old Abby went missing and were later found dead near the Monon High Bridge in Carroll County. For years, police searched for a man in a blue outfit seen in surveillance video walking near the girls. Video taken from one of their phones also recorded a male voice saying, "'Down the hill.'" In the probable cause affidavit, prosecutors allege evidence found at the crime scene, including shell casings matched a gun that Allen owned. Other documents in the newly released information include photos of Allen before his incarceration and more recently, which show a major weight loss. He is being held in the Westville Correctional Facility and is reportedly in the segregation unit for his protection. That according to a motion to subpoena third party records, he was initially placed on suicide watch, but the court document says his mental health improved to the point that he was taken off of suicide watch. A Carroll County Sheriff's Department detective wrote in the document that on April 3rd, Allen called his wife and allegedly admits several times that he killed Abby and Libby. 
His wife reportedly abruptly ended the call. After the call, his attorneys filed an emergency motion to move him to a different detention facility, arguing his mental health has declined to the point where Richard M. Allen has been deprived of his constitutional rights to assist in his defense of this case. At one point, Allen allegedly wet paper he, he allegedly wet papers sent by his attorneys and ate it. Ew. I had to read that twice because that uh, that It sounds weird when you say wet he wet paper. Yeah, he wet paper and ate it. He reportedly refused to sleep and eat and has not made a phone call since April 3rd. He met with psychiatrists on April 14th, and they reportedly determined Allen did not need to move facilities or be put on involuntary medication. Another inmate at the same detention center wrote a letter to the court claiming Allen is being abused and mistreated, along with other inmates. The letter alleges officers at the jail call him a kid killer. You don't get away with a lot in jail, Mally, when you have anything to do with children. Correct. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, WXIN-TV reports the court documents also note that Abby and Libby died from sharp force injuries, which is the first time their cause of death was publicly shared. 19 other documents, however, remain under seal. Again, we'll have Nick Edwards on. We'll talk more about the case and his book on True Crime Tuesday next week. What do you think, Mel? Well, I I mean, I don't know. I found it very uneasy that they had footage of him following them, the girls. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just very, yeah, it was creepy. Very creepy indeed. And Nick actually pursued this case for for a few years and was very case. Uh, One of the things we'll talk about next week and decided he was going to write this book and and was diligent that Alan was indeed the killer. The the weight loss is shocking here, Mally. I want to, I want to show you a picture. Um, Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to show you a picture of him. Okay, this is him along with the girls. There's a there's his mugshot, right. his initial mugshot. Okay. Um, and then here's him now. Oh wow! Maybe yeah. does he have cancer? No, I think he just this basically went on a hunger strike. Stopped eating. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think he's just that disturbed. Or hopefully, now again, this is just conjecture. This is just me speculating. Um. Hopefully, his conscience is getting the better of him. So he has, like, remorse. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Those girls would now be, like, 19 or 20 years old. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a shame. It really is. Uh, let's move on. Let's go to Missouri, where a Missouri man says he deserves, he says, this is the quote, I deserve to die. Yeah. Uh, this Missouri man gets life without parole, and this is why, Mally, for keeping a missing woman in a cage and dismembering her. We covered this on the last uh, rip from the headlines. We go to Dallas County, Missouri. A judge ordered a man to spend life in prison without parole almost two months after his accomplice received the same sentence for killing and dismembering Cassidy Rainwater in 2021. Court records show Timothy Norton pleaded guilty on Tuesday, June 27th to murder and was subsequently sentenced to prison. James Phelps, the other man involved in Rainwater's death and dismemberment, entered an Alford plea in May. Now, keep in mind, an Alford plea isn't necessarily admitting guilt. It's just saying that he's uh, entering a plea. Uh, Norton told KYTV-TV, 
That's interesting. Uh, I deserve to die, and I am ready for that. He had, he admitted it's not right to take a life, but said things went sideways when Rainwater died. Norton said Phelps choked Rainwater because the two men allegedly believed she stole belongings from them. Phelps and Norton were arrested in September of 2021. Rainwater was reported missing September 1st of 2021, and the Dallas County Sheriff's Office said he had not been seen since July 25th. Investigators learned Rainwater was last seen at Phelps's house, and he told police Rainwater had been staying with him until she got back on her feet. And she had been there for a couple of weeks. He claimed she left in the middle of the night in August and had not been seen since. On September 16th of 2016, the FBI shared photos with the Dallas County Sheriff's Office showing a partially clothed female in a cage who officials identified as rainwater. The Dallas County Sheriff's Office said the other photos depicted Cassidy's body bound to a gantry crane uh, commonly used for deer processing and her Ew. evisceration and dismemberment. Yeah. yeah. Her remains were found in a freezer on Phelps's property, and detectives uncovered incriminating messages between Norton and Phelps, which they reportedly discussed planning her killing. Norton reportedly told FBI agents September 20th of 2021 that he went to Phelps's house where or while Cassidy slept on the living room floor, and he held her down as Phelps strangled her and put a bag over her head. Then the two men took a short break before carrying her body outside. Phelps reportedly tied her to the crane and began evisceration and dismemberment of Cassidy's body. My God. What the heck did she steal that was worth strangling and dismemberment? Not a thing. I mean, it, there's not a thing. There's just no punishment worth that. Um, or nothing you could steal that's worth right. that punishment. Yeah. Uh, Norton told officials he assisted in carrying rainwater back into the house and putting her in the bathtub. Phelps's house burned down in October of 2021. And I think he's right. He does deserve to die. There's, yes. No, I, yeah. I wouldn't argue with him. Yeah. No, he, he nailed it on the head there. Let's move on. An Atlanta mom is arrested for allegedly shooting her teen son during a fight over a video game console. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, can't imagine. A 34-year-old mother was taken into custody after she allegedly shot her son multiple times during a dispute about a video game console. According to the Atlanta Police Department, on Thursday, June 29th at 10.22 p.m., officers were called to a home on Spark Street Southwest regarding a person shot. When they arrived, they found a 17-year-old male suffering from gunshot wounds. An ambulance arrived and then transported him to a nearby hospital for treatment. Police identified the suspected shooter as the victim's mother, Jaquana Butler. Atlanta police alleged Butler and her son got into an argument over a video game console, which escalated to gunfire. Uh, have you ever wrestled Mr. Fox or shot him over the video game console in your house, Mally? Oh, no. no. <laughs> You've never wanted to play Red Dead Redemption or uh, Grand Theft Auto that bad? No. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're good. Yeah, I've never wanted to play WWE uh, 2K23 or anything like that that bad. Um, or the new AEW game that bad, uh, Fight Forever. Or just to be upset with your child yeah. that much where you want to shoot them. Mm. Right? Uh, during the fight, Butler allegedly retrieved her gun and shot her son several times. She was arrested and booked into the Fulton County Jail 
on charges of aggravated assault, reckless conduct, and cruelty to children. Fulton County jail records show Butler has been arrested on several occasions, Mally. Oh, so she's not new to the jail cell. No, no, no. Over the last 13 years on various charges included aggravated battery, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, and armed robbery, and more. <laughs> this isn't her first go around. That's Upstanding sure. citizen. Yes, she is. Yes, she's a, a fine young lady. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, this one has a bit of a trigger alert to it. So, again, folks, uh, if you're sensitive to uh, things with young children, uh, there's a bit of an alert here. A uh, seven-year-old girl who looked like a mummy was found dead in a vacant apartment closet. We stay in Georgia. We go to DeKalb County, where the mother of a seven-year-old was arrested on suspicion of murder after the child was found dead and decaying in a vacant apartment on June 25th, the DeKalb County Homicide Assault Unit began investigating after the girl's body was found uh, at 2815 Misty Water Drive. Four days later, on June 29th, detectives arrested the girl's mother, Alondra Hobbs, on charges of felony murder and second-degree cruelty. According to the incident report shared by Law and Crime, someone called 911 to report finding the child in the closet of an apartment that had not been occupied for several months. When the DeKalb County police officer arrived, they observed what appeared to be a juvenile female, approximately two to four years of age, deceased in that closet. The officer wrote they observed what appeared to be a full head of hair and decayed flesh that was in the form of an arm and leg and immediately called homicide assault detectives. Officers found a piece of mail with Hobbs' name on it inside the apartment. WXIA-TV reports the victim's name is Olivia Hobbs Jordan. The neighbor who called police told WXIA he became suspicious when he saw the apartment door wide open and then smelled a foul odor as he got closer. My God, Mel. Mm. Uh, he claimed the apartment looked like someone left in a hurry. The man reportedly walked further into the apartment, saw the child's arm, and contacted police. He said the girl looked like a mummy. That's a quote. Olivia's cause of death was not released. Aww. Yeah, that's sad. Mm -hmm. We move on. A woman sentenced to life for kidnapping for killing a woman who was found naked and bound in a burning home. Jesus. Yeah. it uh, The hits keep on coming, folks. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Um. We go to Baltimore, where a 33-year-old woman will spend life in prison for her role in the kidnapping and the killing of a 29-year-old woman who was found naked and bound in a burning home. WJZ-TV, and it isn't owned by Jay-Z, by the way, Mally. I found that out the <laughs> thanks other day. For the, thanks for that clarification. Yeah, yeah I just figured I'd <laughs> clarify that. Uh, WJZ-TV reports Bobby Barncord was sentenced Friday, June 30th to life in prison plus 50 years about two months after she was convicted of first-degree murder, kidnapping, conspiracy to kidnap and arson, a judge sentenced her co-conspirator, Willard Turner, to life in prison plus 80 years in February of 2020. According to the Baltimore Police Department, on August 21st of 2018, at approximately 2.30 p.m., the victim, Tiffany Jones, got into an argument with two men on the 3600 block of, I believe it's Potee Street, the men then forced her into a black Ford pickup truck. The Baltimore City St State, that's kind of confusing. The Baltimore City State's Attorney's Office 
interesting, said one of the men who was known as Philly and was later identified as Turner held Jones at knife point. Barncord reportedly drove the getaway car, which was registered to her father. On August 22nd of 2018, the Baltimore Fire Department responded to a fire near the Potee Street address and found Jones deceased inside. Investigators executed a search warrant in Barncord's vehicle and found Jones's shoes in the back floorboard along with a large knife which had Barncord's DNA on it. Barncord told Baltimore police investigators she helped kidnap Jones and poured lighter fluid on her while someone else lit the fire. Jesus. Yikes. She reportedly said she participated in the kidnapping and killing because she thought Jones stole her cell phone. Ugh. Humanity. I just get the At feeling. Finest. I get the feeling we're, we're disintegrating as a society. You know that? <laughs> you think? I think Over so. a cell phone? I think so. It, it, a cell phone that you easily can go finance another one. Right. You know? It's, it's just sad. Tell you what, Mally, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got more ripped from the headlines coming up. We'll talk about a momfluencer who falsely accused a Latino couple of trying to kidnap her kids. That's coming up. A Florida man is accused of fatally striking his mother with wine bottles and stabbing her. And a Florida murder suspect is arrested after 40 years. We'll give you the details of how he got caught Believe it or not, the slip-up is epic, Mally. We'll tell you about that and more. Plus, we've got Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals on the way. It's coming up next. You're listening to Rip from the Headlines and Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals on a holiday edition of True Crime Tuesday. Stay tuned. Welcome back to True Crime Tuesday. It is a Rip from the Headlines edition along with Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. I'm your host, Tim Dennis along with our special co-host, Mally Fox. Again, Beer City Bruiser is out with a hip replacement, and he'll be back uh, relatively soon. He's doing well, folks. Uh, again, uh, you can hit up Beer City Bruiser at his social media sites. We'll have a list of his social media sites in the description of this program, and you can wish him well there. Also, a reminder, uh, this week is... A special sale at ProWrestlingTees.com if you want to help in uh, the efforts to support Beer City Bruiser in paying for his surgery. Uh, you can do so by buying a t-shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com. It's a 20% off sale this week at ProWrestlingTees.com. Go out and buy a Beer City Bruiser t-shirt and help pay for Beer City Bruiser's surgery. Help support him that way. Mally, I have a disturbing, disturbing um, story here. More disturbing than what we've already listened to. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I know. Louise. Uh, we go to Las Vegas where police find three deceased victims in an apartment after responding to a different stabbing call. Oh. It's kind of six of one, half dozen of another. Um, when, you, when you're a police officer, you go out to respond to one call and you find... You're in a totally different situation. We go to Las Vegas. A 30-year-old man was arrested after police found three deceased individuals inside an apartment unit as they were responding to a different stabbing call. According to Las Vegas police, on Tuesday, June 27th at 9.03 a.m., officers were called to an apartment complex on the 9100 block of West Flamingo Road after receiving a call about an armed man attacking people. 
When police arrived, they found someone inside the leasing office suffering from non-life-threatening injuries. Officers learned the suspect, Spencer McDonald, lived with two other people in an apartment. When they conducted a welfare check, they found the three deceased victims. Police arrested McDonald in three counts of open murder with a deadly weapon and one count of attempted murder with a deadly weapon. He was busy. (laughs) Yeah, just a tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Jason Johansson said in a media briefing shared with KLAS-TV that the apartment leasing office asked two maintenance workers to conduct a welfare check at the unit where the victims were found deceased. The two men had a key and walked into the apartment. Johansson said the maintenance workers saw the apartment was disheveled and was a crime scene. McDonald uh, allegedly immediately confronted the maintenance workers and attacked them. McDonald was reportedly found holding a mace or large sledgehammer type instrument. (laughs) Yikes. Uh, The other maintenance worker is believed to have been killed. Yeah, Las Vegas Police Department's homicide unit responded to the scene and took over the investigation. Johansson said the other two victims are a male and female who he thinks are related. KLAS reports the Clark County Coroner's Office identified two of the victims as 43-year-old Andrew Garden and 45-year-old Christopher Brassard. Uh, Garden was killed by blunt and sharp force injuries, while Brassard died from multiple sharp force injuries. The third victim will reportedly be identified once next of kin is notified. My God, Mel. Mm. Some people's children. Okay, interesting story here. Okay. Speaking of some people's children, a momfluencer who falsely accused a Latino couple of trying to kidnap her kids is finally sentenced. That's right. Uh, racism, I guess, reaches out to all people. Mm, she's probably trying to get views. I guess. Uh, we go to Petaluma, California. A judge sentenced a 30-year-old momfluencer this week to three months in jail for falsely accusing a Latino couple of trying to kidnap her children at a Michael's craft store in 2020. I'm stumbling over my words because I'm, I'm finding this hard to believe. Mm-hmm. So you're in a Michael's craft store of all places and you just look at a random couple and go, they tried to take my kid. Mm. Hmm. Ever had that problem in a Michael's craft store? Uh, no. <laughs> I haven't. I've been locked up, in, or not locked up, locked in a Michael's store, craft store. They locked the doors on me. Didn't know I was there. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but hardly, I've, never, I've never accused or been accused of stealing someone's child. Right. The Sonoma County District Attorney's Office announced Thursday, June 29th, that Judge Laura Pasaglia sentenced Kathleen Sorensen to serve 90 days, 60 of which could be served on a work release program. She got off pretty easy here, Mel. Yeah, I think so. A jury previously convicted Sorensen of one count of making a false report of a crime in April. On December 7th of 2020, the district attorney's office said Sorensen went to a Michael's craft store with her two young children, bought a few items, and went back to her car before driving away. She reportedly called the Petaluma Police Department moments later and reported that a couple who she identified as Sadie and Eddie Martinez tried to kidnap her children at the store. 
Sorensen said the couple made comments concerning the children's appearance as they walked behind her. She also reportedly told police the couple followed her to her car, loitered suspiciously, and then left when noticed by another individual nearby. Sorensen told police she didn't want the couple arrested and that she only wanted to raise awareness of the suspicious behavior. According to the district attorney's office, Sorensen created an Instagram video a week later and included details about the incident that she did not disclose to police. The video See, went, she wanted the views. Exactly. You're right, Mally. You nailed it right on the head. The video did go viral, and Sorensen also appeared on no, uh, local news outlets. In the video, Sorensen reportedly said the male who followed her around the store and to her car tried to grab her stroller, but she did not share this detail with police. Police noted that the allegation would constitute an attempted child abduction if true. Police obtained video footage and interviewed Sorensen once again. She reportedly asserted that the couple approached her children's stroller and that the male reached for it, and she stated that she would testify to that fact and that she wanted the couple prosecuted. Police were unable to find any evidence or witnesses who corroborated that account, however, and the investigation was closed. In addition to her jail time, Sorensen will have to serve 12 months of probation, which bans her from using social media, by the way, so one more off the street, Mally. Good. Uh, she'll also have to complete implicit bias training and pay various fines and fees. I would love to be a fly on the wall for that implicit bias training, by the way. I just feel bad for the couple. Yeah. After all that stress they went through. Yeah, exactly. Well, in the humiliation and ridicule. Yeah. 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 Uh, Sonoma County District Attorney Carla Rodriguez said in a statement, our hope is that this measure of accountability will help provide some closure to the couple that was falsely accused of having attempted to kidnap two young children. Yeah, you know, the just the the hit to the reputation, especially in their local community, had to right. be just plain embarrassing. That's for sure. It's like now they've got a they have to spend. Well, the time, the money, the stress, all that stuff to clear their name. Because it's like once you're accused, you know what I mean? It's uh, yeah. anyway, I feel bad for them. I hope they uh, sue her for defamation. I would hope they would. Yeah, at least in civil court. Yeah. 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 We go to Florida, Mally. We're not quite in dumb crime, stupid criminals yet, but this is bordering. A Florida mm. man is accused of fatally striking his mother with wine bottles and stabbing her. Uh, some people can't hold their liquor. Apparently not. Uh, we go to North Miami where police arrested a 36-year-old man this past week on suspicion of fatally beating and stabbing his 64-year-old mother. According to a news release and affidavit from the North Miami Beach Police Department on Sunday, June 11th at approximately 9.13 p.m., officers responded to an apartment near the 3700 block of Northeast 169th Street where they found Connie... I believe it is Cuesta, deceased. At the scene, officers met the victim's spouse and the victim's son, Sean Cuesta, who were outside the home. The victim's spouse reportedly told officers he discovered his wife unconscious on the master bedroom floor with no shirt and her pants lowered to her knees, and she was cold to the touch. Ew. Yikes. Uh, according to police, the spouse called a family friend who went to the home and also saw Connie Cuesta's body. A neighbor reportedly told police that on June 11th, from around 10 a.m. until the early evening, he heard loud banging and yelling coming from the family's apartment. 
Police said the neighbor alerted the victim's spouse about the noises and called law enforcement. On June 12th, police interviewed Sean Cuesta, noticing visible scratches on his arms and a laceration to his forehead. Cuesta had reportedly lived with his mother on and off for many years, and he had been staying with her for the past several weeks. According to police, Cuesta uh, told investigators he was with his mother all day on June 11th, and he left sometime between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. to buy food. Police allege, however, that Cuesta and his mother got into an argument that eventually turned physical. Cuesta allegedly threw items inside the apartment before striking his mother in the head with blunt objects, including empty wine bottles that were found by the victim's body. Police noted that one of the empty wine bottles had a towel wrapped around the neck, which ultimately resulted in the victim's death. After hitting his mother, Cuesta allegedly used a knife to stab her four times in the temple. Police reportedly recovered the knife, which was found in Cuesta's backpack. That's that's not going to work as far mm. as uh, getting him off. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. According to the affidavit, the victim's extensive injuries caused her to bleed excessively onto the floors of the living room and master bedroom. Cuesta allegedly tried to clean up the blood with a towel and rag before he showered and fled the scene. The Miami-Dade County Medical Examiner determined the victim suffered blunt Blunt force trauma, which lacerated her organs, causing internal bleeding. Following his interview with the police, Cuesta uh, reportedly went to his aunt's home. Police said his aunt became concerned about his behavior and called police, who transported Cuesta to Citrus Health Facility. On June 16th, police said Cuesta's aunt went into the North Miami Police Department station and told investigators that on June 12th, Cuesta called her from a gas station landline and said, I killed my mother. Cuesta was released from the health facility on June 16th, and police took him into custody on Thursday, June 29th. Cuesta was booked into the Miami-Dade County Jail on charges of second-degree murder, battery by strangulation, and aggravated battery. He remains held without bond. What's this violence between family members? It's half your stories. That's a good question, Mel. I I have no idea. I, I it, It's becoming more and more common, though. Yeah, yeah. Scary. Yeah, that's for sure. I believe this is our last story in Rip from the Headlines today, and it has to do with a Florida murder suspect who was arrested after 40 years. He essentially had gotten away with it. Okay. But he made a mistake. He had even moved across the country, Mally. Okay. And was for all intents and purposes, got away with it scot-free. A Florida murder suspect who featured who was featured three times on America's Most Wanted was arrested after nearly four decades on the run. He had had his face plastered all over television, yet still got away with it. Okay. 65-year-old Donald Santini allegedly used 13 aliases to evade arrest for the 1984 murder of a 33-year-old Florida woman. He was serving as the president of a local water board in California at the time of his arrest. Okay. Santini was extradited to Florida where he faces a charge of murder. He was wanted for the murder of Cynthia Wood, a then 33-year-old going through a divorce with her husband. He was the last person seen with her on the 6th of June, 1984, before detectives discovered her body strangled and left in a canal. Here's the quote from Sheriff Chad Cronister of Hillsbury County, 
I'm sorry, Hillsborough County, Florida, in a statement. He goes on to say the arrest of Donald Santini brings closure to a longstanding cold case and provides justice for the victim and her family after nearly four years, or I'm sorry, after nearly four decades of waiting. Authorities said he was identified as a suspect shortly after the murder and he fled Hillsborough County immediately. Santini has appeared several times on the television show America's Most Wanted. Get this, Mally, in 1990, mm-hmm. 2005, and 2013. Hmm. Three different decades. Right. Right? Many agencies, including the FBI, worked extensively on this cold case for years. The search took in investigators to Texas, California, and even as far as Thailand. With, wow. Yeah, with no luck until this year. It was a tip from the Florida Caribbean Regional Fugitive Task Force that led U.S. Marshals to San Diego County. Santini was arrested and charged on first-degree murder in San Diego before being extradited to Hillsborough County Jail in Tampa, Florida earlier this week. He had been living in a small suburb of San Diego called Campo under the alias Wellman Simmons. He even appeared regularly at public board meetings as a president of the local water board, that according to officials. In a 16-page handwritten letter he sent to a local San Diego news station, Santini said, the reason I've been able to run so long is to live a loving, respectful life. (laughs) How is that for narcissism? Oh, my goodness. Mm Mm-hmm. He said he volunteered with the Rotary Club, owned a Thai restaurant, and ran an apartment block during his years on the run. Oh, my gosh. I would have been hiding in the woods in a cabin. No one would see me. I guess if you just live out in plain sight, you can get away with it. Apparently. He has previously served time in prison for raping a woman while stationed in Germany. Oh, geez. He's a winner. Yeah, he is. Uh, And in 1983, he was charged with aggravated robbery in connection with a convenience store robbery in Texas, which is his home state. So he's not exactly the most innocent guy in the world, Mal. No. How old is he now? What, 60s, 70s? He is 65. Okay. Yep. So career criminal, but managed to be out on the lamb and doing other things. He thought being on the straight and narrow would would set him free, and it did for 40 years. I felt bad if he remarried, like, for his wife. Yeah. Yeah, because she thought she was getting a, a stand-up guy, and right. turns out she was getting a killer. Mm. That's for sure. Well, Mally, it's time now for us to switch gears, lighten it up a little bit, and it's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's, it's Crayon News Story Time. <laughs> What happened with this dude, Christbearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? I need help. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's that time you've been looking forward to, the time we switch gears, and it's time for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. Again, the co-hostess with the mostest, Mally Fox, is with us this week. And we remind you once again that Beer City Bruiser is out with that 
hip replacement. And again, folks, if you want to continue to send your prayers, your thoughts, and your your good energy to Beer City Bruiser, he definitely needs it. Uh, He's still in a little bit of pain. He still can't uh, sit for long periods of time and and do the show with us. So if you can continue to uh, just keep those good thoughts coming, we appreciate it. Uh, And again, one more reminder, ProWrestlingTees.com, 20% off sale. Go ahead and buy a Beer City Bruiser t-shirt and help uh, Bruiser out with the cost of surgery, if you would. We want to get our Bionic Bruiser back as soon as possible and uh, help him out as well with the cost of surgery. Uh, Mal, guess what? What? We're starting out today's uh, Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals with a a stupid cop. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Who's uh, actually being uh, arrested for... This is so stupid. Uh, Accusing her colleagues of menacing her with text messages, but actually sending them to herself. Oh. I know, right? It's the cutest story ever. (laughs) A New York police officer who complained for months about receiving menacing text messages from her colleagues was arrested after investigators alleged she'd been the one sending them all along. She must be lonely. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Why else would you do it? I know. Right? I don't have time for that. Yeah. 36-year-old Emily Hershowitz of the, I believe it's the Ossining Police Department, was charged at the Westchester District Attorney's Office on Wednesday with four counts of third-degree falsely reporting an incident, along with three counts of first-degree filing a false instrument. That's an interesting charge. (laughs) The latter is a felony, which accuses her of filing a report with the intention of defrauding. Beginning in May of 2022, Hershowitz filed a report to the DA's office that she was receiving anonymous threatening text messages from multiple numbers. She claimed that a fellow police officer or multiple police officers at any, or rather at my department are involved, according to court documents obtained by the Journal News. In July and then in August, she complained again and gave investigators screen grabs showing long expletive-filled messages urging her to commit suicide and calling her useless, a dumb blank, and a reject. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Police and local officials were so alarmed by what was described as the message's increasingly threatening content that they reached out to the DA to investigate further before Hershowitz said she wanted to drop the complaint on August 12th. Her concerned super superiors rather were undeterred, however, and on August 23rd, police chief Kevin Sylvester called a department-wide meeting to discuss the messages. The Austining mayor, along with other local officials, were invited to attend, according to the Journal News, but investigators reportedly were quick to suspect Hershowitz and by October issued a search warrant of her phone and digital accounts. Prosecutors said the evidence quickly indicated she was in charge of several of the phone numbers that the menacing messages had come from and that she'd likely sent them to herself. Following her charges last week, Hershowitz was suspended with pay. With pay? Yeah, at least she got paid for it. Jeez. Yeah. The criminal, I think the reason they do it with pay is because until you're found guilty proven guilty yeah they can't suspend you without pay they can't mm. not pay you for for anything that you haven't done and don't quote me here okay it may be a union thing oh yeah, yeah i could see that yeah uh the criminal i think she just needs some mental help 
Yeah, that, that could be. That could be. Uh, the criminal complaint noted that somebody known to the DA's office appeared to have sent three of the text messages, though though did not note who. Hmm. Interesting. Mm, Former yeah. Austining police officer Louis Rinaldi, who resigned in the spring over separate disciplinary charges, has come up as a possible accomplice to Hershowitz. Rinaldi was reportedly brought up several times throughout the investigation into the messages, and his lawyer, Michael Sant'Angelo, said the former officer was the subject of an investigation, according to the Journal News. Hershowitz joined the Austining Police Department in 2016 and in 2018 was named the Employee of the Year by the local Rotary Club branch. Hmm. Probably not for sending messages, Mike. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of mystery and confusion surrounding the allegations in this case, and we'll evaluate as we learn more, said our attorney, Paul. Oh, wow, this is a name. Der Ohanesian. How would you like that last name? Ooh. I'm good with Fox. <laughs> You're good with Fox. That's right. That's right. Uh, she is due to appear at the White Plains City Court on July 12th. So there you go. There's that deal right there. Uh, we go to Minnesota for this next story, Mally. Oh, That's in your neck of the woods. My neck of the woods. Uh, evidently, I didn't know this. If you had to be uh, assaulted with a delicious candy, what would you pick? Ooh, I think Twizzlers. Mmm. Whipped with Twizzlers. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good one. Um, hmm. If I had to be assaulted with a candy, I would say a Hershey bar. Okay. One, because it would break apart instantly, and two, I would just swallow the evidence. Oh. <laughs> yeah. it'd, be, it'd be quick for me to uh, just gather up and, and put down my gullet. Uh, this man was jailed following a Skittles assault. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Take the rainbow. Take it. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, according to cops, this 19 year old defendant uh, pelted restaurant patrons and workers with Skittles. Because what else are you going to do? They pelted me with rocks and garbage. I just remember that from that skit. Uh, a Minnesota man is behind bars following an unprovoked Skittles attack on restaurant patrons and employees, according to police report. Investigators say that 19-year-old Tristan Statina walked into a Mankato eatery on Friday afternoon, began throwing Skittles at employees and customers. That's a good waste of Skittles. <laughs> Are you a fan of the, the Skittles? I do like Skittles. I do, too. But I like the original. I'm not a big fan of, like, the tropical yeah, or I don't like the other things. flavors, but I like the original. Yeah, the original are good. Uh, a woman identified as victim one in a court filing told police that she was hit in the back with a Skittle, which caused a stinging pain. How hard huh? do you have to throw a Skittle to cause a stinging pain? That's got to be, what, 40, 50 miles an hour? Yeah, but I could see it hurting. I guess. Sure. I mean, I've got a little scar on my leg from someone whipping a pebble at me when I was at camp. But so that, that's a pebble. Yeah, but I can see Skittles are hard. Aren't they hollow, though? No. Are you sure? Yeah, when you bite a Skittle, it's solid inside. But it's it's got... It's the chewy stuff. It's it's candy, and then it's... It's, it's candy. the hard shell, and then it's like the chewy stuff inside. Right, but isn't there a hollow center? No. Are you sure? Yeah, it's not hollow. I thought it was just a candy shell and then a little bit of candy and then a hollow center. 
No, I don't think so. Are you sure? Oh, my goodness. No, <laughs> while you keep talking, i got to get my phone. Yes, and i got to look, look up a cross-section of a Skittle. You look while I read. Okay. Okay. Upon arriving at the restaurant, a cop noticed Skittles all over the ground and a bag of Skittles near the garbage. The suspect, victim one, told police had a heart-shaped tattoo under his eye and another tattoo on the side of his face. I will show you a picture of this, this kid in a minute, Mal, so you can, uh, okay. you can find out what kind of a kid throws Skittles. Uh, based on the description provided by the woman, police knew the male to be Tristan Statina. Uh, Statina has twice been arrested by Mankato police in recent months. We like to call him the Skittle chucker. Uh, after locating Statina at a nearby business, the teen allegedly pulled away and attempted to break free from officers as they were trying to place him in handcuffs. Statina, who tried to trip one cop, was eventually subdued by three officers, according to a probable cause statement. Statina was charged with misdemeanor assault for the alleged Skittles fusillade. He is also facing misdemeanor disorderly conduct and resisting police counts. Statina was arrested in May for... (laughs) What? He was arrested in May for possession of LSD and 27.92 grams of marijuana wax. Do you think he, like, you know, was popping the LSD and then just kind of shaking the the Skittles around in his hand and (laughs) wondering at the colors and then decided it was too much, it was overload, then threw the Skittles? You never know with people. Might have been. While the probable cause document lists no permanent address for Statina in Mankato, a previous court filing indicated that he resided in an apartment in Albert Lee, which is about 10 miles north of the Iowa border. Uh, well, that explains everything. He's he's an Albert Lee resident. So Skittles are solid inside. They are? Yep. So I don't know what you're thinking of. All right. I stand corrected. Here is your Skittle chucker right here, Mally. He has tattoos on his face. Yeah, I, I said that. He had tattoo. He had a heart like under his 13. eye. Yeah, he does. He doesn't look 19, does he? Oh. You just want to, don't you just want to cuddle him and feed him soup? I smack him aside the head. <laughs> <laughs> here, I'm trying to be, you know, fatherly to him and you just want to smack him with something. Or being stupid. Don't you just want to shoot him over the video game console? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. I'm kidding. No, I'm joking. That's that's not good parenting right there. Uh Mally, what's the uh what's the highest you've ever gotten your, your car to speed wise? Uh well I follow the rules. So <laughs> Especially when you were on Mr. Fox's insurance. <laughs> no, I'll tell you this, though. I did get pulled over for speeding when I was in. I can't remember. It was either. It was on the border of Wyoming and, and Montana. Mm-hmm. And I did get pulled over for going 90. Okay. Um, but I got $10 off my ticket because I was wearing my seatbelt. Okay. So, yeah. But I thought the speed limit. There was no speed limit. Okay. Because there was like that, this is years ago. Okay. There was like the urban legend that they had no speed limit or something like that, but it ended up being 75, so. <laughs> okay. So I got a ticket. So All that's right. as fast as I've gone. That's as fast as you've gone, huh? Yeah. And that was just because it was a stretch of highway out in the middle of nowhere. All right. All right. Well, I, I can't claim I know the... the uh, 
what do you call it, the exchange rate on uh, kilometers <laughs> to uh, miles per hour. Uh-huh. But an American man uh, was fined a thousand bucks for an absurd 262 kilometers per hour speed. Is it in uh, Coquiala? It says, my only comment would be what happens on the racetrack should stay on the racetrack and not on the public highways. This is what was quoted to him by the judge, I believe. An American man who was caught topping 260 kilometers per hour on the Coquiala Highway in a high-performance sports car has been ordered to pay a $1,000 fine, was cautioned by a judge to save the extreme speeds for the racetrack. Santo Joseph Criscolo, is that how it's Chris? No, it's yeah, Chris, I like how you're asking me. I just Chris, I know. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't <laughs> be asking you. It's the story's in front of me. He's 55 years old. Chris Cuolo. Chris Cuolo. Chris Cuolo. That's what it is. Uh, pleaded guilty Thursday in Kamloops. That's where this t- uh, story takes place. Kamloops Provincial Court to one count of excessive speeding. I wonder how much 200 and. 62 kilometers per hour is. Let me see if I can Google this real quick. Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. So 262 kilometers, kilometers to miles. It's 162 miles per hour. Jeez. That's kind of fast. Yeah. Just a tiny bit. Yeah. So uh, he he got it up there. (laughs) That's what she said. Wow! <laughs> did you hear that? Just I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't. You didn't mute your mic on that one. I, I did hear that. Yeah, yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, so yeah, he got her. He got her up to 162 miles per hour. Um, yeah, that's that's good speed. Good speed. Mm-hmm. So old Santo there. Uh, he uh, the court heard the Seattle man's Alfa Romero. Romeo, I'm sorry, Alfa Romeo Julia was clocked. Have you ever driven one of those, by the way? No. Okay, I haven't either. Uh, was clocked by police at 262 kilometers per hour on a stretch of the Coquiala South of Merritt on May 7th. More than double the 120 kilometer per hour speed limit. I mean, he's lucky he got away with just a $1,000 fine. Yeah. Yeah, I would think it would be a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Crown prosecutor Caitlin LaFontaine Haight said a constable pulled Chris Guolo over. Mr. Chris Guolo's vehicle was then impounded. He got a little more than a thousand. Yeah, yeah. I mean they took the vehicle. Right. Uh, the I con- didn't know that they did that at first. Yeah. The constable noted that although Mr. Chris Guola was apologetic, the speed was absurdly, absurdly above normal for the traveling public. Well, if they can keep up, then... Right. You know, it's, that's yeah. part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, defense lawyer Dan McNamee said Chris Guolo was headed to the Area 27 racetrack near Oliver where he races the Alfa Romero. A Romeo, rather. Alfa Romeo. Uh, his explanation, as I understand it, is that essentially he wasn't really giving it much thought. <laughs> he saw an open stretch of road and very quickly found himself at those speeds. Obviously, looking back, he recognizes that it was far, far excessive. McNamee says Chris Guolo has experience driving at extreme speeds. This wasn't a maniac type driving situation, he said. 
He's somebody who's been at those speeds in a vehicle that is highly maintained for racetrack speed. I think that's part of why we're looking at not a criminal, dangerous driving situation and just excessive speeding. Does that make sense to you? He knew what he was doing. I guess. In addition to racing it, McNamee says Chris Guolo uh, uses the high-end vehicle for volunteer work, offering rides to children in Washington State as part of a charity program. Chris Guolo apologized in court. He says, I regret my actions. As Mr. McNamee pointed out, it was just very thoughtless. Kamloops Provincial Court Judge Roy Dickey, who has the worst last name ever, <laughs> went along with a joint submission for a $1,000 fine. My only comment he went on to say would be what happens on the racetrack should stay on the racetrack and not on the public highways. So there you go. Oh, I just got a little note across my iPad that Logan Paul is engaged. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there you go. There you go, kids. Logan Paul's off the market. And the and the dogs agree. Yeah, sorry about that. No, it's okay. It's a good, it's a good decision. <laughs> good decision. So there you go. Um, Probably now my Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> they usually go like this when it's the post office or it's Amazon. Yeah. So. Oh, oh there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, uh, this story was interesting. A city councilor for Boston is facing charges after a crash that injured her son and damaged a Boston home. In other words, Ooh. she drove right through it. Sounds like it. Yeah. Speaking of more vehicular uh, hijinks, we go to Boston. We remember the Boston City Council was driving a car that slammed into a Jamaica Plain home on Friday afternoon. That, according to her office, they've confirmed that story. Her son, who was also in the car, was taken to a hospital for injuries that were suffered in the crash. Mm-hmm. District 6 City Councilor Kendra Lara was or will be summoned to court on several related charges, and the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families was contacted about the incident. Yikes. Was she drinking? Well, let's find out. According to a police report from which all names were redacted, a gray 2019 Honda Civic crashed through a metal fence over bushes and slammed into the left side of a home at 803 Center Street. Police said the crash caused significant damage to the fence, landscaping, and front porch of the home. Boy, she got deep into the yard, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. According to the report, the driver of the Civic told officers that she swerved to avoid a collision with another car that began to pull away from the curb. The driver of the other vehicle, a gray 2015 Honda CRV, told officers he was barely in motion when he noticed the Civic approaching at a high rate of speed. The CRV driver said the Civic sped past him and suddenly turned left, crashing into the home. While all names were redacted from the police report, Lara's spokesperson confirmed she was involved in the crash. Lara's son, Zaire, suffered injuries in the crash and was taken to Boston's Children's Hospital, where he received several stitches. His injuries included bruising around the left eye and a deep laceration on the left eyebrow, which bled profusely, according to the police report. Yikes. The officer who wrote the report noted that the child was not in a booster seat in violation of the law. Because of this, the report about the incident was submitted to DCF. 
Oh. Yeah. According to the police report, Laura will be summoned to the West Roxbury Court for charges including operation of a motor vehicle after suspension. Oh, so she didn't have a license. operating an unregistered motor vehicle and operating an uninsured motor vehicle. A second person will be summoned uh, for allowing unlicensed operation and allowing operation of the unregistered motor vehicle. Now, Laura's office did issue a statement. Of course they did. Of course, because we have to control the situation, Mel. Mm -hmm. We have to control it. Uh, The This afternoon, they said, Counselor Lara and her son Zaire were in a car accident near the monument in Jamaica Plain. Zaire was admitted to Boston Children's Hospital, where he received several stitches. The counselor thanks the responding officer from Boston Police Substation, E13, Boston EMS, Boston Fire, and the attending team in the Children's Hospital Emergency Room for their care. She also thanks the neighbors and bystanders who came to their aid on the scene. It was a scary situation for everyone involved, but thankfully, Counselor Lara and Zaire are expected to make a full recovery. She asks for privacy at this time uh, because it's about to get blown up public real mm-hmm. quick. They didn't put that part in. I did, but you know, <laughs> just saying, just saying. Uh, at least she didn't pull the do you know who I am? Like you watch those videos. Yeah, yeah. That would have been incredibly embarrassing. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's for sure. Uh we move on. This is a little disturbing. We're going to Los Angeles. Okay. To the Silmar neighborhood. You know, housing is kind of a kind of a touchy subject these days, Mel. Uh, mm-hmm. Housing prices are through the roof. Uh, it's it's getting harder and harder to rent at a decent price, and people are trying to find non traditional ways of of housing these days, Mel. Yes, they are. Well, one person tried to give 20 different families a different way of living. You know, some people are are living in converted vans. Some people are Mm -hmm. living in RVs. So a silver... Or they're living in those uh, storage units. Yeah, well, that's kind of a dangerous way to live. I know somebody who lived in a storage unit for a while in Florida. (laughs) Why are you laughing? I don't think that's a very good way to live, especially in Florida. Think about it. It's hot. It's humid. Yeah. Unless you're in those controlled environment ones. But those are pricey. In Florida, they don't have climate controlled. Oh, they don't? No. Oh, I thought they did. Okay. No. no. Uh, A Silmar homeowner is accused of illegally housing people in 20 RVs and dumping their waste out onto the streets. Nice. Yeah. The shitter's full. <laughs> shitter's full. <laughs> Stump it out on the street. Uh, we wow. Got, yeah. Got a whole caravan. Yeah. Well, I suppose it, it's cheaper that way than paying a dumping facility. Yeah, but I'd be pissed if I was a neighbor. Well, you're you're not kidding there. You're, you're getting the piss everywhere. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> We go to Silmar, Los Angeles. We're on a residential street in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, it's the San Fernando Valley. No wonder they got pissed (laughs) off or pissed on or pissed around or pissed on top. Uh, People living in dozens of homes have found themselves asking the same question lately. What is that smell? (laughs) 
It comes from a single plot of land off of Hubbard Street in Silmar that has one house and roughly 20 homes. Recreational vehicles take up the lot and is occupied by renters, which affects people well beyond its fences. Video obtained by Eyewitness News ABC7 showed what neighbors say is human waste spilling into the streets and into the yards. Ugh. Ew. My grandson cannot even go outside to play, said Maria, who lives near the lot. I don't feel safe, she said. Another neighbor, Cindy Lopez, described the smell. Are you ready for the description? Oh, boy. <laughs> sure. Okay, she says, when they do the dumping, you can smell it in the neighborhood, she said, adding that it smells strongest at night. The two estimate the dumping happens roughly every other week. Oh, God. Oh, that's got to be fragrant. Uh, for years, Cindy and Maria each thought they were experiencing the smell alone. And then, oh, my God, it's been going on that long? So it's not recent. No. <laughs> Uh, the two estimate the dumping happens roughly every other week for years. Cindy and Maria even or each thought they were experiencing the smell alone. And then they started knocking first on one neighbor's door, then another. No one said, what are you talking about? They all said, oh, my goodness. Yes, said Cindy. <laughs> Their petition has collected 117 signatures, Mally, from people saying they don't feel safe. I was crying, said Maria. I couldn't sleep through the night for the noise. I don't know who's living there. Two people living there agreed to speak with ABC7 in Spanish and without revealing their identities for fear that their landlord would retaliate. Mm. They each pay roughly $500 a month in rent. $500 a month. That's cheap, especially for California. Well, just a, well, yeah, but just to park your RV. That's kind of mm -hmm. spendy. Uh, working odd jobs to get by. I work one day and not work another, said the male tenant, and I save up throughout the month. When he falls short on cash, he tells ABC7 he pays his dues by clearing the backed-up sewage line. Oh. Oh. Poor guy. Video shows a yard full of what he described as human waste. Oh, it just goes out in the yard. Oh, nasty. Oh, but I bet the grass is really green. Catch <laughs> uh, diseases that way. Yeah, yeah, it's not safe at all. Uh, clearing the backed-up sewage line, describing everything in a video obtained by ABC7 as human waste. Ugh. Get this. Here we go, Mel. We've had fevers, said the female tenant, so people are getting sick from it. Mm-hmm. The man added that if everyone living there got a health exam, they would all come out with some kind of contamination. Poor Ew. people. When Eyewitness News reporter Christiane Cordero approached the property to speak with its owner, Cruz Florian Godoy, two men approached. That's not good. Mm -mm. One insisted the operation was legal with permits. ABC7 did a permit search and found none for the RVs and no recent permits uh, for this address. The other person told ABC7 that Godoy was not available, suggesting to contact her attorney. Ew. This is nasty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. But if you think that's nasty... <laughs> we got something to top it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, you know, there comes a time when you have kids, you just got to teach them how to take their medicine. 
Okay. But one mom found three kids unconscious after their babysitter showed them how to snort pills using a rolled up ramen noodle cup. Oh my God. Of course, the babysitter's got to be the one to show oh. them how to take their pills. Yeah. She, she was highly recommended. That's right. She came highly recommended uh, through, through the babysitting services, I'm sure. Uh, a mother mm-hmm. of three in Indiana said she came home and found her three children unconscious after their 24-year-old babysitter had allegedly taught them how to snort pills, <laughs> that according to authorities. Deanna Nicole Bird, Babysitter of the Year, by the way, was taken into custody on Wednesday and charged with three counts each of neglect of a dependent, resulting in serious bodily injury, dealing with a controlled substance with enhancing circumstances. That's a long charge. (laughs) And one count of theft. Court documents reviewed by Law and Crime Show. According to a probable cause statement, officers with the Evansville Police Department and emergency medical services personnel responded to a home at about 521 p.m. on Wednesday in the 100 block of Althaus Avenue on a call regarding three children needing medical assistance. The caller said she just arrived at the babysitter's home who was watching her children who were 8, 9, and 15 and found them unconscious now. Oh, scary. The children were hospitalized, and thank God they've recovered. Okay? So there Mm -hmm. was a happy ending to this. Medics revived the two younger children, and when they regained consciousness, both kids were stumbling and falling when trying to get into the ambulance. The 15-year-old was unconscious when she was put into the ambulance. One of the younger children allegedly told an officer bird their babysitter I'm sorry, they allegedly told an officer, Bird is the name of their babysitter. Bird, their babysitter, had given them some of her pills. During a search of their home, authorities said they found several orange pill capsules that were broken in half on the bedroom dresser. Nearby was a white powdery substance and a rolled-up ramen noodle cup lid. Mm. The kid's mother told police she had dropped them off at Bird's house at about 10.30 p.m. the previous night and told Bird she'd be back to pick them up at about 5 p.m. the following day. That's a long time. That is a long time to be with the babysitter. Uh, That was when she got off work, by the way. So it wasn't an irresponsible thing where she was just out partying or doing whatever. That's when she got off work. Uh, she said she didn't hear from the kids or Bird all day. When she arrived at the home, Bird was alone on the front porch, seemingly impaired and speaking very softly. The mother said she was nervous when she entered the home and did not hear the children. She then ran upstairs where she found her 15-year-old daughter unresponsive in Bird's bedroom and called 911. Her other two children were unconscious on the couch downstairs only getting a slight response after shaking each of them according to police Uh, when she confronted bird and told her that she called 911 bird allegedly said she wasn't going to jail for no kids (laughs) jesus (laughs) when the 15 when the 15 year old Awoke at the hospital, she told police that Bird had offered her and her brother's pills she believed were Klonopin, Adderall, and Lyrica. <laughs> Jeez. <sighs> there's, a, there's a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said they never asked for the pills 
and that bird offered them up unprompted. So she just told the kids, here you go. It's a little something for a nap. Uh, She said birds showed her how to break open the orange pill capsules and make lines with them to snort. Oh, Oh, babysitter of the year again. Uh, The 15-year-old said birds showed them how to snort pills using a rolled-up ramen noodle cup lid. She said her and her brothers took about three to four of each of the three different pills Bird had given them. I'm sorry, but a 15-year-old should be like, this isn't right. Right, right. Uh, The 15-year-old said after the pills took effect, she and her brothers began falling over and could hardly stand up. She said she recalled seeing her brothers falling and that she recalled puking at one point and then coming out of the bathroom and falling again. A child services worker told police the stories from the two younger brothers matched the 15-year-old's account. The worker also noted that they were familiar with Bird as DCS had previously removed all three of her children. (laughs) Then shame on the mother. Right, right. When questioned by police, Bird allegedly claimed that the three children, one of whom she refers to as an a-hole... Mm. stellar stellar person here mm-hmm. must have gotten into her pills on their own saying that she never gave them anything she added that the children liked to snoop when given free reign at her home she also denied that either of the two young children was ever unconscious in other words covering her ass Mally. right yeah at bird's home investigators said they found a prescription pill bottle for adderall and Klonopin. While she was being booked into the Vanderburg County Jail, police said they found a half-filled prescription bottle for Lyrica from Bird's purse, which had orange capsules that matched the broken ones found at the home. Bird's bond was $20,000. That was it. And she's been ordered to have no contact with any of the three children. Unbelievable. Yeah, that mother must have been desperate to have that lady watch her kids after her kids were taken away. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll say. That's mm-hmm. for sure. That's for sure. We're going to switch gears a little bit. This story comes to us uh, from one of our listeners. Again, if you have a story for dumb crime, stupid criminals, or if you have a story for supernatural news, it's real easy. Uh, you just uh, send it to us at Tim at darknessradio.com. Uh, again, we'll take your submissions either for dumb crime, stupid criminals, or you can send it to us. Um, at uh, Tim, Tim at darknessradio.com. Um, a Canadian man who sold cocaine, meth, and heroin out of his drugstore, we had covered that previously a couple, a couple of weeks ago, has now died of an overdose, Mally, oh. which is <laughs> shocking. I know. Right. Shocking. A Canadian man who opened a drugstore hawking cocaine, meth, heroin, and ecstasy has now died of an overdose. Shock of all shocks. Jeremy Martin, 51, died Friday in Vancouver days after he overdosed on fentanyl and was rushed to the hospital. His girlfriend, Krista Thomas, or Tomas, has told Vice. Martin remained unresponsive after the overdose until his family decided to take him off life support. Martin opened the brick-and-mortar store aptly named the Drug Store, Mally. <laughs> because when your brain is that gone from drugs, you can't come up with original stuff. Right. Uh, he opened that the drugstore in May after British Columbia changed its laws on January 31st to allow adults to possess up to two and a half grams of drugs, including opioids, cocaine, methamphetamine, and MDMA or ecstasy for personal use without being arrested. 
Jerry believed that people were self-medicating their trauma, and so long as they were doing that, they needed a safe supply to do it, Thomas told Vice. Uh, he's no more exempt than any other human being on this earth. Thomas continued, he had his own trauma, and unfortunately, he relapsed. It was not clear whether Martin intentionally used fentanyl or if another drug he used had been laced with a powerful opioid, Thomas added. Martin's brazen business, which was billed as the first store to test drugs so they don't contain deadly additives like fentanyl, got off to a rocky start after he was arrested for drug trafficking within a day of opening in downtown Vancouver. Mm. Yeah. I am giving them addictive drugs but i'm giving them safer addictive drugs and you can get out on the street where they might be laced with fentanyl or some other drug martin said as he opened that store uh he wanted to save lives thomas said as she remembered remembered him <laughs> unbelievable yeah well, he didn't practice what he preached no no not at all uh yeah that's that's one important thing to remember uh when it comes to that uh, I'm trying to bring up the story about the Starbucks employee that was sent to us by Margo. For some reason, it's it's not coming up here. We'll move on here to a, a different story. Uh, as that story about the Starbucks employee comes up, um, a Pennsylvania cop, by the way, we're continuing on the overdose theme here. A Pennsylvania cop uh, overdoses and dies from drugs that he stole from an evidence locker. Oh, last year it was, or last week it was liquor, and now it's drugs. Yes, yeah, it, it, it continues. The cycle continues. A West Hills police sergeant, Michael Beblar, has died. Uh, he died on June 13th after an autopsy was performed. Fentanyl, hydrocodone, and xylazine were found in his system. According to Cambria County Coroner Jeff Lees, the 40-year-old Beblar took the drug from an evidence locker within the department. When going through Beblar's personal items, investigators found drugs that were entered as evidence from current and past cases. I think it's safe to say this wasn't a one-off occurrence, how long was it going on? Frankly, we'll never know, uh, said the county coroner. Uh, the county coroner said Bebler's death came as a shock to those who knew him. The Bebler family has been extremely gracious throughout the process. They've expre uh, expressed shock and surprise at his apparent drug use. They are clearly a very strong family, he said. Authorities say there are nine active cases that are currently missing evidence or were mm -hmm. tampered with. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Not good at all. Uh, let's move on. An Alabama mom is shocked after her. Oh, you know what? We're, we've got two more stories left. I'm going to skip the Starbucks story. We'll keep it for next week. We're having a problem opening that up. But uh, two stories left for dumb crime, stupid criminals for this week. An Alabama mom is shocked after her eight-year-old son's lemonade stand is reported to the state labor department. Uh, I've, I've heard of that happening before. Why is it that some people, pardon my language, Mally, are assholes? I know, right? It's not hurting anyone. I mean. Let the kids earn some money. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of a rite of passage. Did you have mm -hmm. a, did you have a little business when you were a little kid? No. No, you didn't do it. But I, I, I visit them still to this day. Yeah, I do too. If I see a little kid on the side of the road or whatever, trying to sell a little something, you mm -hmm. know. You generally stop off, and even if you're not, like, if you don't drink the lemonade or you don't, you know. Right. You don't necessarily use the product they're selling, you, you stop off and support them, 
right? Exactly. Yeah, you know, little kids trying to do what they're trying to do. And every once in a while on the news, you see like some super kid that's trying to sell Tootsie Rolls or whatever in order to, you know, I don't know, go to Disneyland or whatever it is they're trying to do. And, uh, you know, you, you try to support them so they make their goal. You know? There's a kid here in town who raised like thousands and thousands of dollars doing a lemonade stink because people would start going to him because he was advertising. Yeah. All the money went to the uh, animal shelters. Oh, yeah. In the area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and kids that have that entrepreneurial spirit, you just, you know, you try to get behind. You know? Right. Because they, they, they're showing that, uh, you know, they're just they're showing that intuitiveness and that that. Um, that that uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, Mal? That that go getiveness, I guess. Yeah, the drive. Yeah, the drive. Exactly. Thank you, Mally. They're showing that drive, and and you want to encourage it, you know, mm-hmm. as as much as you can. Well, this Alabama mom is absolutely shocked. Um, this eight year old had his sights set on Disney World. Speaking of Disney World, he had his sights set on Disney World and decided to open up a lemonade stand to help him get there. And why not? However, he and his mother received a surprising call that added a wrench in their plans. Uh, Cam and his mother, Crystal Johnson, were contacted by the Alabama Labor Department over a complaint that the lemonade stand had violated child labor laws. Oh, it's not even like a health concern. It's a child labor law? Yes, it's a child labor law, which is completely stupid. Right. Needless to say, I was very shocked and saddened by the fact that anyone found wrong in what I was trying to do. I was trying to do a good thing, give back to my community, and to find out that someone insinuated that I was trying to labor minors. That was, well, it was pretty sad, Crystal said on Fox & Friends first on Thursday. Eight-year-old Cam said he started his lemonade stand as a way to make money to go to Disney World. I tried to ask my mom, can I go to the Disney World? Cam told host Todd Pirro. Uh, after Cam started his lemonade stand, his mother Crystal put up a flyer encouraging other kids to take up a one-day apprenticeship at the stand to learn the value of hard work and money. And why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, the flyer said Crystal and Cam were looking to have two kids join as a smiler and a greeter. Okay. Okay. Doesn't sound too bad. I was trying to teach him exactly what I'm trying to teach my son, just how to handle money, customer service skills at that, and teach the little boys how to shake hands correctly, and just little things like that. That's all I was trying to accomplish, Crystal said. Crystal received a call from the State Labor Department after a complaint was filed against the stand for violating child labor laws. Oh, my gosh. Cam said he got sad after learning about the pushback over his lemonade stand. The Alabama mother said, well, she does not know who reported her flyer or son's lemonade stand. She's trying to remain positive. The first thing that comes to mind is who could dislike us that much to go that far? And I just have no idea. But I'm sure that whomever did it is pretty regretful right about now. Thank you, Crystal said in a message to whoever complained. Because of that person, it had the opposite effect of what they were trying to do. It propelled us even quicker in our endeavor. So don't harbor any ill will. I thank them. And I hope they have some remorse themselves for doing what they did. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody, if they had a GoFundMe or what happened. But evidently, the kids are going to Disney World. Oh, good. Yeah. And shame on that person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Our final story for today for Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals is... is Why are you laughing? <laughs> you remember the story about the um, the RVs? That we just talked about? Yeah. Yeah. About the, uh, you know, putting the uh, shit out on the lawn, so to speak. Yeah. Well, this one is about getting arrested if you can't get your shit straight. Okay. (laughs) Let me ask you this, Mal. Uh, Sure. You've had a little experience with trying to potty train little kids, haven't you? Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing you've threatened them with that seemed to work? Like if they didn't go to the bathroom? Yeah, like if they didn't sit down on the potty and go potty. Uh, I don't think I ever had to threaten them. Never had to threaten them? No. Hmm. Did you? Now my dogs, on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> what did you threaten them with? <laughs> Go in your cage. <laughs> <laughs> did you have an incentive with the kids? Of course, yeah. We had like this, this uh, thing up there, like a chart, and then they got stickers and stuff every time they went, and then a certain amount of stickers. Then you, you know, you got a little prize. Oh, look at that! Like that, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's good. That's positive reinforcement. We're going to go to Florida, where evidently negative enforcement (laughs) is the thing. Mm -hmm. This isn't exactly how you want to encourage your kids. We go to Volusia, where a three-year-old is put in jail for potty training trouble by Daytona Beach Shores police officer. What? (laughs) That's right. Uh kids out there if you are listening along with your parents or grandparents you might want to turn a blind ear to this one Uh, a three and a half year old child is having difficulty getting potty trained and was brought to the daytona beach shores public safety department on successive days last october and placed in jail (laughs) okay that according to a high-ranking officer They told a caseworker this during an interview. Okay. Yeah. On the second occasion, October 6th of 2022, the child was also handcuffed, Mally. Is the parent a cop? I'm trying to figure out why these cops would go along with it. Well, we'll tell you. Okay. I giggle, but I shouldn't because it gets worse. Oh. Here's the quote. He was crying. I was getting the response I expected from him. Lieutenant Michael... Schoenbrod told the Department of Children and Family Families caseworker body cam footage from a Volusia County Sheriff's Office deputy shows. That's right. There's body cam footage, Mally. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The boy promised to never again poop his pants, Schoenbrod said in the interview. It is unclear whether Schoenbrod and another high-ranking Daytona Beach Shores officer Detective Sergeant Jessica Long, who brought their child to the jail on October 5th, faced discipline from the city. The news journal had obtained copies of memos written by Public Safety Director Michael Fowler to teach, or rather to each informing them of a professional standards investigation. But the results of any such investigation have not yet been made public. Fowler, in an email Tuesday or said in an email Tuesday, he is consulting with the city attorney before commenting. And the actual records cannot be released because they have been sealed by a judge, city clerk Sherry Schwab uh, said in an email on Friday. The case Schwab cited listed Schoenbrod et al. as plaintiffs 
said, or rather, and the state attorney's office as defendants, but is inaccessible to the public. It is dated March 24th. A second separate case was filed by Schoenbrod and Long against R.J. Larissa, the state attorney, and it was filed on May 18th. Uh, more information is accessible about the case, but the initial filing and several subsequent motions are marked as confidential. In that May 18th filing, Schoenbrod and Long petitioned the court for a writ of mandamus. Essentially, legalese, that means that they are asking a judge to impose an order on Larissa. Uh, what kind of order? Well, that's unknown. Further complicating matters, Mark Weinberg, court administrator for the Seventh Judicial Circuit, wrote in an email on Monday, the judge to whom the two civil cases are assigned, Circuit Judge Mary Jolly, has not sealed them. Antonio James, an attorney with the Volusia County Clerk of Court's office, wrote in an email that the cases are confidential due to the motions for confidentiality filed within the cases. Confused you might be after this episode of Soap. <laughs> exactly. He cited rules that govern court records, which he said are separate from Florida public records law and case law dictating clerks must treat such motions as confidential pending the court's ruling. It sounds like people don't want to get in potty trouble, Mally. Right. Right. A public records advocate challenged the city's official assertion that the motion for confidentiality precludes them from making the internal affairs documents public. It sounds like a lot of people don't want to get in trouble for traumatizing a three-year-old. Yeah, I feel bad for that kid. Yeah. Schoenbrod and Long live together, by the way, and have the child together, if you're wondering what the connection is between the two police officers. Aww. Neither they nor their attorney, Michael Lambert, responded to requests for comment. While the city has not made public any internal affairs findings, both Schoenbrod and Long had 20 hours of leave without pay on their May pay stubs. For the first six months of 2023, Schoenbrod took home $48,679. Long made $47,754. So they're well paid for punishing their child by arresting him for not going potty on the potty. Ugh. You know, I'm all for supporting police officers, but these people are giving police officers a very bad name. Yes, they are. Uh, Schoenbrod told the caseworker he has used the put a child in jail technique before. It's not their first time, Mally. The kid is three. I understand if, like, he shoplifted a candy bar and you do it to teach him a lesson and he's, like, you know, 15 or 16. But come on, a three-year-old? Right. Approximately uh, nine years earlier, he said he disciplined his four-year-old son similarly after misbehaving at preschool. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Schoenbrod said he had asked the boy whether he had hit a girl, and the boy said yes. So Schoenbrod then told the boy he puts people in jail when they hit other people. I took him to the jail, and he sat there, and I watched him. And he was crying and everything. And to this day, if you mention like that incident, he's just like, I would never do that again. It was effective, Schoenbrod said. So that's why I did it with this. He didn't hit anybody, but I figured the same thing, discipline. And he didn't want to go back. So, and that's a direct quote from him. Mm. 
Later in the hour-long body cam footage, most of which contained scrambled video, Long could be heard calling the investigation insane. While Schoenbrod responded, it's just disgusting that someone would drag our family through the mud like this. So he's <laughs> indignant about it. Mm-hmm. Laying the blame on somebody else. Right. A Department of Children and Family spokeswoman acknowledged a request for comment Tuesday, but otherwise did not respond. Also, a Florida Department of Law Enforcement spokeswoman said she received a June 6th News Journal request for any investigation of Sean Broad and Long agents uh, may have completed and that the request has been forwarded to the Public Records Department for Processing, which is apparently ongoing. Uh, there's also... A fight going on to open records, which we won't get fully into because it seems kind of uh, a little redundant. But mm -hmm. um, it, um, it it goes on to say that they're they're fighting to keep the actual child's name out of out of records. But that I mean that's again that's that's kind of a given, right? But. Um, the two are in some hot water, just to say the least. They're in some hot water over this, and and it's it's excessive, right? Yeah, it's excessive. There are other ways to potty train children. That's for sure. That's for sure. That'll do it for dumb crime, stupid criminals today. Mally, what you got going on besides the Fourth of July? Uh oh, uh, we have a local cemetery, and uh, we're looking at doing an investigation there, kind of checking it out and stuff. There's a Potter's Field in the back and also like a mass, a mass grave of um, like influenza and stuff. Oh. So, yeah, we're going to go check it out. Right on, right on. I know. I'm looking forward to it. By the way, did you ever make that uh, Nutella fudge? I, had some I just got me. the ingredients yesterday, so I'm going to make it for tomorrow and really? bring it to the campground. Ooh, good. By the way, can uh, are you going to put the recipe up on ParanormalGirl.com? Yes, I am. I figure if I'm going to make it, I might as well post it. Excellent. By the way, folks, all things Mally Fox can be found on ParanormalGirl.com. There's merchandise up there. Um, not only for the gals, Paranormal Girl merchandise for the gals, but do you still have zombie love monkey stuff for the A guys? A little bit. Okay. Yep. That's okay. that's next on my list to start working on is zombie love monkey stuff because I get a lot of compliments on that. Good, good. And Mally will be at um, uh, Michigan Paracon. So, mm -hmm. and she'll have her booth at Michigan Paracon. So, and uh, is there any hints as to what the theme is for the booth this year? You know what? I don't even know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm usually like a week before, I'm like, let's make it. <laughs> okay. Well, it's always, no, a, I don't know. <laughs> you always have a very original theme for the booth. So, looking forward to seeing what this year's theme is. So, there you go. Thank you. There you go. Um, let's see here. Uh, tomorrow, Supernatural News. Here on the program. And then uh, Thursday is kind of a uh, surprise. Maybe a little bit of a Ooh. paranormal potpourri, put it that way, for uh, cool. for, for uh, Thursday. So there you go. Uh, so that'll do it. That'll do it for True Crime Tuesday. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in for Rip from the Headlines and Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals. Again, if there's a guest out there that you want to hear here on the program, uh, drop me an email, tim at darknessradio.com. Mally, we have got some exciting guests coming up for the month of July. Um, not only Nick Edwards coming up next week from True Crime Garage, we have Barbara Butcher coming up this month. Uh, she is a former New York City death investigator. 
Ooh, that would be good. Yeah, she's coming up. She's got a brand new book coming out. Uh, we also have other guests coming up that are so exciting. Now, we, we just uh, working really hard to get some great guests in for True Crime Tuesday. And uh, we got some great guests coming up for Darkness Radio as well. So looking forward to the month of July here uh, for Darkness Radio. So tune in tomorrow. Supernatural News for Darkness Radio. Thank you so much for continuing to tune in to us here on Darkness Radio and True Crime Tuesday. For Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for joining us today for the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday.